Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. We've come to a particular time in, in our study of, of Revelation. And basically, we've, we've reached the midpoint. And some, some might think, well, he's, he's talking about there's 22 chapters and we're in chapter 11, so we're at the midpoint. No, that's not what I'm talking about. We are at the midpoint of the tribulation. And what you're going to see, now remember we're in an interlude. Right? God, God puts these interludes in there. We've got one more interlude to go. But the interludes are there to teach us and to show us His mercy, His grace. Six trumpets have sounded. Seven seals have been opened. We're waiting for the seventh trumpet to sound. And there is the interlude. We'll see that with the bowls. There'll be six bowls, an interlude, and then a seventh bowl. That's, that's the way John did it. It's, we had an interlude uh, after, after the six uh, seals, and then the opening of the seventh. Now we're going to come to the sounding of the seventh trumpet. It's at this point that we move from the fact that we are in a tribulation. And what you're going to see it identified now and what is called is the tribulation, the great, okay? The great tribulation. The great tribulation is the wrath of God continually being poured out upon this world after this midpoint. One of the ways that, that we can understand this, and, and I know uh, there are a lot of you here that uh, you come and you say, you know, uh, I don't understand a word that guy is saying about Revelation. Well, you don't have to understand what I'm saying. But you better take for fact that what God is saying is true. And you better understand that. Now, let me just say something to you right quick. Yesterday was my birthday. Y'all didn't know that, did you? 55 years ago, April the 17th, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. 55 years ago. On April the 17th, on a Sunday night, I asked Jesus to save me. And I'm, I'm not bragging anything about me. I'm bragging on my Savior. Because not only did He save me, He gave me eternal life. I don't have to wait to die to live eternally. I am living eternal life right now. Because when, when, when Jesus saves you, then you will live in this life until that point that, that God brings us out. But we continue to live. We, we never die. We may give up this body, but we don't die. There's no spiritual death involved with those in Christ. So I hope and pray today as we look at this that you will look back. And this is the reason I said this. I want you to go back in your mind. Now you may not know the exact date. I didn't until Kelly and I put our heads together and we got it because next Saturday is Kelly's spiritual birthday. We put all of that together. It was the Sunday after Easter 
1966. Okay? And I found Jesus. Can you go back? You may not know the date. You may not get the years straight. But what I want to know is, can you say for a fact, Jesus Christ is my Savior, and I'm living eternally in Him? Can you say that? Now, if you can't say that, then you need to do something about that because we're coming to a point in this world where the Lord Jesus is going to a point, and I'll mention it here in a minute, and when that point is reached, then He's coming to get His church. I don't have any doubts about that. When He takes His church out, the tribulation begins. Now, how do we know all of this? Okay, now don't, don't lose Revelation 11. I want you to look in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Go way on back in the Old Testament, right after Isaiah and Jeremiah and the Lamentations and Ezekiel, there is Daniel. If you come to Hosea, take a left turn and get back to Daniel. Okay, Daniel chapter 9. Back in the year of 2020, I started a series on the book of Daniel. And I told you this when I, when I began in Revelation this year. Because I was going to move directly from Daniel into Revelation. And, and we could put together how all of this ties together. Now the first six chapters of Daniel, it's about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And how Daniel became uh, such a part of the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. But then from chapter 7 to chapter 12, God revealed the things that were coming at the end. And one of the things that he teaches us is how we know when all of these things are coming to an end. What are, what are we looking for? And, and what are we trying to decide? Now look at verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9. Seventy weeks. If you, if you have a King James Version. That, that word is, is actually translated 77s. So basically what it means, and, and this is how it would translate out, it's the weeks of years, 70 weeks of years. So let's just look at it as this. 77, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, Israel, and upon thy holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. Now those things have not been fulfilled yet. But they will be fulfilled. Know therefore, verse 25, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even as troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks, after 62 weeks, shall the Messiah be cut off but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end of the war the desolations are determined. Now that prince that shall come is the Antichrist. So how do we know how all of this is going to come about? It's in the hands of God, and it's in God's timing. So now just listen to me real close. And I'm going, to, I'm going to try to guide you through this, how we know this. 
And when you talk about God's timing and we read about these 77s and we go back to the temple, when the temple is going to be restored is what he said. The temple being restored started back in the time of Nehemiah. Now, when Artaxerxes, the king at that particular time, found out that Nehemiah wanted to go back to Jerusalem, he made a decree for him to be able to rebuild the temple and get it established and build the walls. You can read the book of Ezra. You can read the book of Zechariah. Ezra and Zechariah helped restore that, that temple and bring it back to its place. The rebuilding took place and there was trouble all around. The Jerusalem itself, building the walls up, were built, was rebuilt in 396. But now there are 62 sevens, or 434 years here, a total of 483 years because it took 49 years to get Jerusalem all built back together. So what happens at the end of 483 years? There was a, there was a, there was a man that did some calculations, and uh, he came up with the fact that the Jewish year is 360 days, not 365. That's 483 years times 360 days. And that goes back to A.D. 32. So from the time Artaxerxes gave his decree, we come to A.D. 32. That's when Jesus was crucified. After the 483 years or 62 weeks have passed, the Messiah is cut off. In other words, he has been killed. Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem. He declares he's the Messiah. Jesus is crucified on a cross. Jerusalem is destroyed by Titus in 70 AD. 63 weeks now, 483 years has been fulfilled in our history, just as Daniel said. From that time frame, from Artaxerxes down to Jesus. But that leaves us with seven weeks. So where is this seven years that's left to make the 490. None of the things that I mentioned a moment ago in verse 24 have come to pass. So there's a gap there. And we have to understand what is this gap of this one week that we're talking about. In Acts chapter 2, the church is unfolding. The Messiah has died. We see the time period. Jesus ascends. And now the church is, is being established. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, there will come a time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles came as the church began to, to grow. Time of the Gentiles exists at this point right now. It's unfolding. We are right now living between the 69th week when the Messiah was cut off and the 70th week are those seven sevens. That last seven years, we are living right in between there. Paul says in Romans chapter 11, that this will continue until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. It's the last Gentile that will come and know Christ is going to happen. And when that happens, Jesus is going to come down or he's going to call and rapture his church. The rapture is the beginning of the last 
seven years. So the tribulation will last for seven years. Okay? It talks about uh, the prince that comes in verse 26. In chapter 7 and 8, it talks about the little horn. That's the Antichrist. He's the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians 2. And he's the beast in Revelation 13 that we'll come to in just a couple of weeks. The man of peace is going to bring carnage. But the interesting thing is, the Antichrist is going to make a treaty with Israel right at the beginning after the church is gone. At the beginning of those seven years, the Antichrist will be making treaties with all of the countries. He's going to have everything lined up where everybody can, can win the war and everybody is going to have all the money and all the food that they need. He's going to set all of this up. He will make a treaty with Israel just like he will the United States. But the treaty with Israel is what we've got to focus on. He'll make the treaty with Israel. But in the middle of that, three and a half years, he will break that treaty. Now the way he does that is he will desecrate the temple that is built in Jerusalem. And the last three and a half years will be filled with blood and war and death at the hand of God and His wrath being poured out upon this earth. Chapter 24 and verse 15 of Matthew, Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation happen, then you better take note. That's the halfway point of the tribulation. Seven years will end, and Christ will come in His millennium. Now, that's hard to grasp, I know. That, that's, that's a difficult thing to, to have to get a hold of. So don't try to do it. Just understand this. Seven years, three and a half years. At that three and a half year point, which is where we are today, at that point, Satan, through the Antichrist, is going to seek to establish himself as the God of this earth. We'll see all that begin to unfold uh, as, we, as we read on through. So what do we find in, in chapter 11 that, that makes us understand that this is the midpoint of this tribulation That's what's going to happen? Look, if you will, in verse 1 of chapter 11. There was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out, and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Three and a half years. Forty and two months. Three and a half years. So John has been handed a reed. And we're talking about, you've seen those reeds that grow around the swamps and, and up, up near the uh, water. That's what he's talking about. And they would take those reeds and, and they would find something that they knew. This is how long it was. They would measure it. They'd cut it off. And so they would, they would have the reed and they could lay out and they could measure it. So that's what's been handed to John so that he could measure the temple. Rise up and measure it. Now here's the thing you got to understand. What temple? What temple is he talking about? What temple is he talking about uh, being measured here? So as you look back, Solomon's temple built his temple in 958 B.C. We all know about Solomon's temple, how beautiful it was. Solomon built it at, at the accordance uh, with David, David getting all the material, and then Solomon builds the temple for the Lord. 
that temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem or came in and, and took everybody captive. That was 586 B.C. Zerubbabel, Ezra, and the high priest by the name of Joshua in the book of Zechariah, they were the ones that helped rebuild the temple. It was desecrated by Antiochus Epiphanes back during the Maccabean period. And you're looking at me and saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, good. Just make sure that, that you remember that was destroyed. But then Herod rebuilt that temple, or built the temple for the Jews from 520 to 515 B.C. That temple remained. That, in fact, that was the temple that Jesus was in, the one that Herod built. And he built onto it. And he made it better and better and better for the Jews so that he could kind of keep them under control. That temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Roman emperor Titus. And Titus, the Roman general, he come riding in. And the Romans never destroyed temples. They kept them. But for somehow, this temple caught on fire. Really because they really believed that, that this temple was laid in gold. And they were trying to burn the gold out. It caught the temple on fire. And it destroyed it. And if you remember Jesus, when the disciples said, tell us about the end time. Jesus said, I want you to know there's not going to be one stone left upon another. And sure enough, after 70 AD, there wasn't a stone left because they took them out trying to get all the gold out. So now that temple is destroyed. If you go to Israel today, and it was started back in 1100, if you go to Israel today, there is the Dome of the Rock, it's called. The Temple of Omar. The most fought over piece of land is a little mound right outside the western wall. The temple has been destroyed. The only thing left of that old temple is that western wall. We call it the Wailing Wall. It's the western wall. But outside on, on the mount there, there is this structure for the Muslims. They own that part of the land. But the Jews are, are looking to take that land back. And when they get that land back, guess what they're going to do? They're going to build the temple on that land. You can go in and you can go and see all the things that they have already made for the temple. They've got the altars, they've got uh, the ark, they've got everything that they need to put that temple back together. So when you look at this, even though we're going to see a heavenly temple here in just a minute, the Jews in Israel are, have come back. They are going to rebuild their temple, and they're going to build it on that area there. So John sees a temple that is built up until the time that, that Jesus comes. They'll rebuild it. That's the temple that the Antichrist is going to desecrate. The abomination of desolation. In fact, the Antichrist is going to help fund them get this temple built. They're going to think he's the greatest person in the world because now they have their temple. And then he's going to desecrate it. And he's going to establish himself as God. So I want you to look at verse 1 again because I want to point out something to you and we'll move on. Verse 1 and 2, he said, they gave me a reed. You see that? Now, that's to measure with. But then he said, a reed like a rod. A rod was used for discipline, for punishment, for chastisement, for destruction. The reed will measure the temple. 
the altar, the sacrificial altar, because it's all Jewish. Measuring something, claim that for God, belong to Him. But you notice it says, but don't, don't measure uh, the outer court. That's for the Gentiles. Measure those that worship therein. There will be those who are turning themselves back to God. And basically what he's talking about here is that he's going to blaspheme the temple. But there is going to be a remnant of the Jews that are going to be saved at that particular time. Three and a half years, the treaty will be broken. The Antichrist will desecrate the temple and he will become the God of this world. So we're talking about the tribulation temple that's going to be rebuilt here and that's going to be married, uh, going to be, uh, be used uh, for their services until the Antichrist moves in. Now, we go from that to verse 3. Now we see God's witnesses during the tribulation. We've seen the tribulation temple. Now we see the tribulation witnesses. Who are these two witnesses? There are some people that say that they are Elijah and Moses. Because Elijah could stop the rain, Moses uh, could turn the water into blood. But there's some things that, that don't add up with all of that to make that Elijah and Moses. Some say it's Elijah and Enoch. Because Elijah didn't die, he was taken up by a whirlwind. Enoch didn't die, he was walking with God, and then God took him. And they'll go back to the scripture in Hebrews when it says, it is appointed unto man once to die. But folks, that's a general statement. Because there's going to be a lot of people that won't die. You remember the rapture? They're not dying. They're going straight into heaven. So that doesn't work. Enoch and Elijah. Some say it's Zerubbabel and Joshua from the book of Zechariah because they are the lampstands and they are the, uh, the light that, that shine during that, that temple there and the, and the trees, okay, the olive trees. Some say it's the witness of the church. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Some say it's the law and the prophets. None of those things work because it's not the church, it's a temple. So, if you want to know who these two witnesses were, I've got the answer. Look at verse 3. See that little word, my two witnesses? See that? That's who they are. They belong to God and He doesn't want us to know, so quit it. If he wanted us to know who they were, he'd have told us. All right. and, and the thing that really gets me is I, I read all of these things, and everybody focuses on this for 5, 10, 12 pages, trying to figure out who is this. It doesn't matter. In fact, it's none of your business. They are God's two witnesses. Good enough? Let's leave it at that. God's two witnesses. We don't know their name. We're not going to know their name. We may not even know it in eternity because it doesn't matter. They're two witnesses of God. They, they prophesy a thousand two uh, hundred and three score, twelve hundred and sixty, that's three and a half years. They dress in sackcloth, sackcloth, they're in mourning, crying out. These are the two olive trees, the two candlesticks. Go back to Zechariah chapter 3, Zechariah 4. You'll see that about Zerubbabel and, and Joshua, but these, these things doesn't mix. And they didn't come together as being those two particular individuals. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth. Now, I know that there's a lot of, of TV shows and movies about uh, these superheroes, right? I, I, they got Ant-Man and Mosquito Man and, and 
way to go man and all these others i don't know they they all dress funny and they have shields and swords and and funny little hats and capes and you know whatever happened to superman y'all remember superman you know superman was was that guy he would fly in and and you remember when superman come in and the bad guy would turn around and tool his gun and he'd stand like this and you could just see these little white bullets bouncing off, nine, ten of them, when he had a six-shooter revolver. Nine, ten of them bullets bounced off. He's standing like this. And then when he quit shooting, Superman would, would look at him, and he'd throw his gun. And every time he threw the gun, Superman went. If you can knock eight bullets off of your chest, why, why is a gun going to hurt you if it hits you? Now, that's a superhero. Now, these two guys, if they are accosted, fire comes out of their mouth, and he kills any of them. That's, that's what he says. Fire proceeds out of their mouth in verse 5. If any man will be, hurt them, they'll die in that manner. God, God sent them, and they're not going to do anything. He is going to use that power to stop them. They have the power to shut up heaven so it doesn't rain. That's like Elijah did. That's where they get it. They have power over the waters to turn the blood. Moses did that. That's where they get that. Smite the earth with plagues. Moses did that. That's where they get this other deal. As often as they want to. In three and a half years. And when they shall have finished their testimony. Verse 7. The beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit. Shall make war against them. Shall overcome them and kill them. Go back to the first part of that verse. When they have finished their testimony, let me tell you something. The Antichrist could do nothing to these two witnesses until God was through with them. Nothing could happen. Now, he's the one that's coming up. He's the one that's going to kill them because it's going to put him in, in such a great light because all of these people, they are accosting these two. People are dying because of the fire that comes out of their mouth. And now the Antichrist is going to come up. He's going to accost them. He's going to kill them. What a great guy he is. He's finally done that. Look, look at the, the party that they have. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Now, folks, that's none other than the city of Jerusalem. You can try to figure out how Sodom and Egypt come into this, but it speaks of the wickedness uh, of the city. It speaks of the slavery that they were a part of. It speaks of the worldliness that, that uh, Jerusalem has become. But when he put in there where the Lord was crucified, that's Jerusalem. That's the city that he's talking about. Now notice, the people in kindreds and tongues and nations, they see the dead bodies three and a half days, and they don't bury them. They just leave them right where they were killed, right there. Leave them on the street. How would you feel if that was somebody that was a part of you? Just leave them right there. Notice what else. And they that dwell upon the earth, they rejoice over them. They're having a party. They make merry. They send gifts to one another. Hey, guess what happened? We got these guys killed. They're not going to make us crazy anymore with all of this talk about God and the wrath of God and the coming of God. They're not going to do that anymore. And so they have a party and they make merry. Because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth about God and the power of God and what God was doing. And no one could touch them 
until God was finished. And I want you to look at your life for a minute as I look at my life. And I want you to understand, folks, every one of us that have been born again, that have accepted Christ, I mentioned that at the first. If you have accepted Christ, you've got work to do. And it doesn't stop until God is finished with you. Now, there are those that will put God behind and ignore Him and say, I don't need Him. And when they do that, there is such thing as called as a glorified death. Because if you're going to hinder the witness of God, dear child of God, He'll take you out of here. Remove you so that you don't cause the stumbling block. But not until you're finished will they be called. The same way with these witnesses. It wasn't until they were finished. There's no more delay now. There's nothing else to stop that is what he's talking about. Chapter 10 and verse 7, we talked about time no more, which means it's not going to be delayed anymore. We're still in this interlude. And at the interlude, these, these servants are going to be killed. But look at verse 11. After three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon them feet, and the great fear fell upon them which saw them. Can you imagine those drunken fools when all of a sudden one of them looks up and he said, how are you doing? He said, I feel fine. He said, let's get up. And they stand up. Can you imagine? So here are these two superheroes, fire coming out of their mouth. Notice what happens to them. And they heard a voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. God sent the Uber down for them. Because he took them up in the clouds. And the clouds picked them up. And they watched the resurrection. They watched the ascension. No one watched the resurrection of Jesus. He rolled that stone around. There wasn't anybody around except those two guards. And those angels already slapped them silly. They didn't know what happened. But these guys, the people will see the resurrection, they'll see the ascension, and the same hour after they descended, a great earthquake, a tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake, 7,000 men died, and the remnant were frightened and gave glory to the God of heaven. Those are God's two witnesses. We don't know who they are. God gave them power. God gave them a witness. God put them in sackcloth. It's mohair. It's, it's camel hair. We all know about sackcloth. They're mourning because the, the great judgment of God is coming and these people will not listen. They just kind of push it all off and say, we don't need that. We don't hear that. We don't want to understand that. And just because it said they gave glory to God to heaven, that just means, man, those guys might have been right. But they didn't do anything about it. And you may be sitting here saying, I don't understand the book of Revelation. Doesn't matter. Do something about it. If you don't know Jesus, you need to do something about it. Because look at verse 14. And the second woe is past, and the third woe is coming. Now, we met that just a few chapters back. Woe, woe, woe unto you. And folks, you better listen to that. Now, we met the tribulation temple. We've seen the tribulation witnesses. Now I want you to see the, the tribulation wrath of God. Look at verse 15. All of a sudden, the seventh trumpet sounds. 
And with that trumpet, there's great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thee thanks, O Lord, God Almighty, which art and was and are to come, because thou hast taken thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry. And thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, to the saints, to them that fear thy name, small and great, shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. The tribulation wrath, the seventh trumpet, is loud voices. Voices coming from every side. You can imagine John as he tries to describe that, but all of these voices coming from every side. And it claims Christ has taken his kingdom and he reigns. Now, I read a couple of, of men, Jimmy Draper was one of them, and, and Dr. Griswold was another one, that they say that actually Revelation ends right here in chapter 11. Because now Christ is reigning, he has his kingdom and he's reigning. And what we're going to see in chapters 12 through 20 is how all of that came about. Okay? And we do know the call was given. Christ will take his kingdom and Christ will reign and Christ will hold this. It will be taken back. That comes from the seventh seal. The kinsman redeemer is taking everything back and now it belongs to him. He will reign through the ages forever and ever. And when we see the 24 elders before, they praise God. But here, they fall on their faces to Him. They fall on their faces because He is coming back, praising the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which was and, and is and is to come. Father, Son, Spirit. And they fall on their faces because He is reigning and He is conquering. But now God's wrath has come to its fullness. From chapter 12 to chapter 20, we're going to see the wrath of God being poured out. We're going to see Satan as he, as he comes against everything that God has. We're going to see how, how the punishment for the nation of Israel is falling upon them so that they will turn and turn themselves back to God, which is what this tribulation is about. We're going to see the Antichrist rise, the one who claims to have all of the power over all the earth. And the kingdoms, they belong to him. And he is going to turn everything around. And we're going to see everything that happens with that Antichrist during this particular time. But I want you to notice something. Judgment is going to come. And you notice in, in verse uh, 18, it talks about uh, those who are going to be judged by this wrath of God. The nations are angry. God's wrath has come. The time of the dead that they should be judged. When we get over into chapter 20, you're going to see Jesus open a book. And another book. The book of life. Where he records everything that you do. Okay. And then he's going to open another book. And it's going to reveal what you did with him. Because I'm going to tell you something, folks. 
right now we live in a time where we think it's all right for us to just do whatever we want to. I'm a Christian. I've done this. I've, I've taught Sunday school. I've, I've done this. And I, I ain't going to do that anymore. I've, I've got better things to do, and I don't want to be tied down. And I don't want to do this, and I don't want to do that. Let me ask you a question. If I were to call you for about three or four Sundays and say, you know, I'm, I'm just tired. I, I don't want to do that anymore. Just give me a while, and I'll be back after a while, and I'll do something else later. And, and just because you've got a problem, don't come to me. I ain't got time for you. You'd get rid of me, and you should. But what about those who say, I, I don't have time for all of this, and, and I, don't, I don't need it in the first place, and, and I, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Folks, let me tell you something. There are people that are watching us, and you say, I'm a Christian. And they watch, and they see what you do, and they say, well, if you're a Christian, so am I, because we do the very same thing. I don't, I don't have to participate in church. I don't have to do these things. We get on the run from God. We run from Him because we're afraid God's going to want us to do something we don't want to do. The chastisement will come. Sooner or later, it's going to come. It's very important that you and I realize and understand as God has called us as a child of His and we've received Him as our Savior, He's got work for us to do. And nobody can do that work but you. And you're going to be judged. Those that come at the judgment seat, at the uh, great white throne judgment, God's going to show them everything that they did. And He's going to show them every excuse that they've made. And then He's going to open the Lamb's book of life, and the Lamb's going to say, He's not there. And God said, I don't know you. And you'll be cast into the lake of fire along with Satan and all of his minions and the Antichrist and the false prophet. But then there's going to be judged those who know Christ. Our name's in the book, the Lamb's Book of Life. And you say, that's good enough. No, we're going to be judged for what we do for the Lord. Did we serve Him in His church? Did we do the things He asked us to do? You say, well, preacher, I, I don't think I've ever been called. You've been called. You just hadn't taken the time to find out what does God want from me. These people see, they feel the wrath of God. The seventh trumpet is blown. The wrath of God has come. These people are angry. And God is judging the saints. God is judging those that fear His name. If you're small, if you're great, it doesn't matter. God is judging. And then the temple of God was opened in heaven. We're going to see that as we get over in the last part of the book of Revelation. We'll talk about that temple that's in heaven. But suffice it to say today, in His temple, He is the ark of the covenant. He is everything that that ark stands for. And we see the thunderings, the earthquake, and the hail, and the tribulation. The great is beginning now. Three and a half more years. I'm going to ask you what I asked you earlier. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Are you living eternal life now? Eternal life means obedient life. Living for Him, doing what He's asked us to do. Now, you don't have to jump up and surrender to go into missions in Africa right now. But you need to know what God wants you to do. Just because we say we're a Christian doesn't mean we are. Because the Scripture is very plain. They'll know you by your fruits. You can talk it all you want to. But what are you doing to show the fruits of God? You see, the tribulation's coming. 
It's already started. It's halfway in. Now the great tribulation is coming. Do you want to be a part of that? When you won't turn back and receive Christ? Or would you rather today say, I see the tribulation. I see it coming. I want to know Jesus. How about you today? Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. It's up to me and you, folks. We have to decide if we want Jesus or not. It's not hard. All you have to do is realize that you're a sinner and you're lost. Now, you can worship. And, and you can sing and say, I worshiped. You can hold up your hands and say, I worshiped. You can, you can say a prayer and say, I worshiped. But you never truly worship until you get in the presence of God and realize you are a sinner. Sinner. And if you don't realize that, you've never truly worshiped. You've sinned against God. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sin. I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. To open up your heart in faith, ask Jesus to be your Savior so that I can spend eternity with my family, with those who have gone before me. Would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Father, I know I'm a lost sinner. I believe Jesus Christ died for me. I believe he rose again. By faith, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sin. Save me, Lord. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving my soul. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, I'm going to ask you to get up and come. Nobody's looking. Dads, moms, men, women, if you've never invited Jesus into your heart, get up right now. Come, stand right here. I'll be with you in just a second. You want to pray that prayer, come on down here. We'll pray that prayer together. That you can know Jesus as your Savior. You know Christ. You've got things to do. You want to be a part of this church so that together we can, we can come forward for the kingdom of God. You can come. By letter, by statement for baptism, you come. God waits for you. Be obedient to Him. Trust Him. Right now, you get up and you make your way here. Come and be a part of the fellowship of Central Baptist Church. We invite you to come right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to our hearts. Father, may we step out boldly, not looking back, stepping forward to say, yes, Jesus, I want you. Give me Jesus right now. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. As we stand together and as we sing, I invite you to come. I'm right here. Come right now.